0: Hey, this is Brian Golden. I am the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to welcome you to our podcast and thank you for taking the time to listen. And I just want to let you know if you are in the greater Tampa Bay area, we would love to have you join us at one of our gatherings. And here's the thing about Centerpoint. Our vision is really simple. We want to be an alternative to church as usual for all people. And that just means we want this to be a safe place that welcomes everybody. Doesn't matter what your background is or really where you're at on your faith journey. And so if you want any more information about our gatherings, Go to our website at centerpointfl.org. And then most importantly, whether you're a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just in that place of investigating faith, I really hope today's message encourages you and really helps you to find life and freedom in Jesus. So my name is Bryant. This is my wife, Nicole. If you are first time, so glad you're with us, whether you're a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just kind of investigating today. Um, We're about to roll into part five. We're team teaching this a little different than what we normally do. Um, But real quick, two things. Number one, in two weeks, we're not done with this series yet. So we've got this week, next week. And then in two weeks, we start a brand new series called This Is What We Do. And gonna talk a lot about the fact that we are an alternative to church as usual and what that means, not just like, corporately, but individually. And this is going to be way more practical than you probably would even imagine. And so that's a huge uh, series as we lead up um, to Easter, which is April the 12th. And we say this all the time, a new series is the best time to invite somebody. And one of my favorite stories the last couple weeks is a good friend of mine actually went to high school together and uh, she's been coming for a little while. And she invited somebody that she hadn't even known that long, but she just kind of got an open window. And she's like, Hey, why don't you just come to church with me? And she didn't give it a hard sell. She's not weird, but she invites people all the time. She's like, hey, it's an alternative to church as usual. I think what you experience might be different, so you should just come. That was it. So come sit with me at the 9.30. And he, um, to her surprise, said yes, because he hadn't been in church for like two decades. And he came, and it's one of my favorite stories because I met him beforehand. And then during the 9.30 service on that weekend, um, he stood up to place his faith and trust in Jesus for the first time, first Sunday here. And then what I love is right after that, he's like, this was incredible. I haven't been in church forever. I can't wait to come back. And then this is the line that got me. He's like, today my life changed. And he said, it's never made sense for me until today. And I just want to tell you, you got a bunch of friends around you like that, and they're not a project, but they're somebody who is loved by your heavenly father. And we believe that God's doing something special through this place. And one invite in 30 seconds yep. of courage may change everything yep. for somebody. And some of you believe that because you've experienced it. Yep. And so um, in two weeks, that's a great opportunity. Next week is also a great opportunity to invite, even though it's the end of the series because we're doing a Q&A called Asking for a Friend. And so if you haven't yet, go to the app and write on the homepage is messages and resources, and then you'll see relationship Q&A. We would love to know your questions. A bunch of you have sent in a ton. We're going to kind of bundle those and answer kind of the most frequently asked questions. No um, are how inappropriate it is. We might deal with it. So you know us. So next week, Q&A, um, be here for that. So uh, we're going to roll into part five, though, of this message. And um, I was thinking a couple years ago, we had our two oldest kids. So we didn't have the back two yet. We just had the front two. Um, that's a weird way to say that, but that's, that's what, that's where we were at. And, um, we were getting ready to go on, I think our first road trip. And for whatever reason, my dad rented us a car and you know how it is. Like when you with first kid, you have like uh, so much stuff that you take anywhere. And then by the time, like with us, you have a fourth kid, you bring almost nothing. Like, it's just, everything changes. Like I would be fine. And so first kid, we had so much stuff. We had two kids at the time. My, my dad rented us a Kia Soul. And um, that probably is enough now. Like, even with four kids, we could pack them in somehow. But, like, at that point, you have so much stuff. Like, there is high chairs and there's, like, we probably just took a high chair everywhere no, with this. There is I mean, strollers. two car
1: seats, a double stroller, two suitcases. This man packs a lot, so he's going to blame it on the kids. But, yeah, true. I mean, it was.
0: It was okay. all baby stuff. So we were we we're trying to fit it all into a Kia Soul. And, like, we could barely, like, literally stuff is on the ceiling for this road trip. And so. Um, It just made me think of this, because I think in any relationship, when you're coming in, there actually should be a questionnaire on the front end, or you should deal with this in marriage counseling, or maybe you're 10 years in, but now's the time to ask, because you didn't before, but um, how big a car do I need if we consider moving forward in this relationship? And here's what I mean figuratively. Like, are you bringing Kia's Soul-level baggage into this relationship? Or is this gonna be like 16 passenger van worthy? Like how much are you bringing? And nobody does that, but there should be a baggage claim on the front end of every relationship to go, I just need to know how much you have before we get too far down the road. Because here's the reality. Everybody is bringing baggage into a relationship. It doesn't matter how amazing you think you are, you're bringing it. In fact, I would say this to those of you who are singles, just to consider this, is that this time right now is your present that ultimately is going to be your future, and it's going to end up being your past. Does that make sense? Like, you should consider what you're doing right now, because we said in this series, you're going to lug what you load, and there's going to be a lot of stuff happen to you. Don't... Um, don't create unavoidable or avoidable regret, I should say, for yourself. Because the yeah. reality is all of us are bringing baggage into a relationship. And some of it is stuff we've chosen to do. A lot of it's stuff that happened to us or was given to us. Yeah. But all of us get into a relationship, and here's the reality. You don't really know how much you have until you get in the relationship. Like, you, all of a sudden, you get in, you got two people not only bringing their furniture together, and there's whole fights about that. They are bringing their baggage together, and then after you say I do, specifically in marriage, you're like, wow, that's a lot. Anybody? Yes. Like, you don't have to say anything if your spouse is sitting next to you, but like, if we're really being real, all of us have to like, wow, that's, and here's the thing is, and it's not just their baggage. It's their baggage. It's your baggage, and at some level, you're dragging some other baggage unspoken with you. Like, in a sense, it's like you move in together, there's you, there's her, in a sense, there's kind of granddad, there's maybe a stepdad, because there's baggage of stuff that maybe we've been dragging for a while that we've never identified. And so it is like one big, not so happy family that unites. And so the question today that we wanna deal with in a few minutes, and we're gonna kind of focus on a lot of the stuff that in a sense has kind of happened to us. But the question is not if you are bringing baggage into a relationship, you are. The question is, What do you do with it and how do you identify it?
1: Yeah, and so I love the illustration of a dresser drawer because – I am extremely messy. You would never know. it. Like, if you came over to my house, it's pretty immaculate. I'm just going to brag on myself for a second. But please do not go through any of my cupboards, my closets, or my drawers. Amen. Um, and so, like, literally my life with four kids has just become one constant laundry pile. Like, that's just all I do with my life now. And so, um, I'll do laundry, and then I'll literally just throw my clothes into the dresser. Um, won't even really fold it anymore. It drives him nuts. Um, anytime I get anything new, it just goes throwing it into the dresser. So, every couple of months, I have to do a complete overhaul because it gets to the point where I can't close my drawers anymore. And so I'll take everything out, start folding it, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I still have this. Or like, oh my gosh, why do I still have this, you know? And so going through it, organizing it and everything. And I think um, a lot of that, it, it's very similar to what we do with our baggage from our family of origin. And that's really what we're going to be dealing with today is family of origin baggage, And so um, a lot of us, there were a lot of things that happened to us when we were younger, like kids, teenagers, where uh, we weren't fully able to process everything that was going on. And so instead of really dealing with it, we just stuffed it, right? So... Um, You know, your parents get divorced. You don't know how to process that. You throw it in there and shut the door. Your dad has an affair. You don't know how to deal with that. You throw it in there and shut the door. Your mom has an anger issue, um, an addiction, alcoholic. You throw it in there and shut the door. Um, You watch a sibling go through a period of rebellion. Your whole house gets turned upside down for it. You throw it in there and you shut the door. And you just keep stuffing, stuffing, stuffing because you're not old enough to fully process what all is going on. And then you get into a relationship and it leads to marriage. And all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, I've got to take this thing with me. So I'm going to, Joanna gains it. I'm going to paint it up. I'm going to distress it. I'm going to make it look really nice, you know, and um, I'm going to take it with me. And um, you guys get married, you move in together. And all of a sudden here comes your husband with all his stuff and is like, "Um, got any room in there? And you're like, I'm sorry. No, like. This is mine. I have no room for you or vice versa. And and now you're angry and you're in fights because you never dealt with any of your baggage. You have no room for their baggage. And so what we want to talk to you about this morning is, is first of all, understanding the baggage that you do have from your family of origin. Because every single one of us has it. And and it's time that we stop ignoring it and we start dealing with it. And then we want to tell you how you can be courageous enough and brave enough to open that drawer. Because some of you are scared to death. And how you can begin to deal with it and heal from it, um, so that you can live the abundant life that Jesus Christ promised you that you could have.
0: Yeah, and and there is resolution yeah. that's available. So this, by the way, I dug this out of my dad's back closet. So this has been a, like, it's not like um, you can't have it out anywhere, worthy. But this has been around forever, like probably since I was conceived. Um, maybe it was in too, the room when I was far, conceived. I don't far. know, but like that, it's been around for a long time. Too far. And so here's what we want to talk about <laughs> oh my. is that, sorry, in each drawer, like it represents something that we're carrying with us. And, and the first one is this, and this is, this is everybody you're watching via unfiltered radio from all over the place, watching um, online, listening via podcast, you're in the house today. The one thing we all have in common is generational sin. That's the first drawer, like all of us. In fact, can we just acknowledge this? DNA is a powerful thing. Um, In fact, like if you're a teenager and you're looking at 17 Magazine, like this is what I'm gonna be, or you're a guy like Men's Health, this is what I'm after. Like at some level, you might be able to kind of hit that, but unless your parents are in the magazine, like, DNA is powerful. Like, you're just, basically, we should just walk around with our phones with a picture of our grandfather just going, this is where it's heading. Like, Which, this is what's going to happen. I, babe, you don't
1: know this, but no joke, when you and I first met, I literally, um, with some of my friends we were going through all your Facebook and found pictures of Dad. I don't know if Dad's in here. And it's going to be awkward. But Dad's a good-looking man. And one of my friends literally was like, okay, you're going to be fine. So, like, that's a real thing. That's a real thing.
0: But... My Love granddad you like, um, has a nose bigger than me, and one of the things that you might that not is true. know I didn't see that discovered pictures. a few years ago is that your nose never stops growing until you die. And so like, <laughs> at 80, I know how it's going down, hopefully without the flat top, but that's what I'm going to look like. And so my point is DNA is a powerful, powerful thing, and all of us inherited generational sin. Like we inherited those, those looks sometimes that we don't want. We also inherit generational sin where literally we were born into a chain reaction of sin. And in fact, David says it this way, surely I was sinful at birth. And come on, you don't even have to have a kid to understand this. And I don't know where you're at in regard to faith. And maybe you struggle with the sin word. What I would say is, I think you probably had those moments where you had standards for your life that you didn't live up to. So call it whatever you want. I think at some level, we know something's broken, but come on. The thing that so shocked me was when my two-year-old little girl for the first time lied to me and manipulated me without any training. Like, (laughs) Never taught her that. I don't think Nicole taught her that while I was at work. Like all by herself, she comes up and like, how does that happen? And David's like, because of this, you were born in a chain reaction of sin and you don't, you're not a sinner because you sin. You, you actually sin because you're a sinner. You were just born with this proclivity, this, this depravity, this thing. And I know that's not very popular, but that's the reality. You don't have to teach a kid how to go off the rails. They just know how to do it. And David's like, literally, you were born that way? And your parents were born that way. And by the way, you watched, no matter how great your parents were, you watched them. And at some level, your brokenness was fine-tuned by them. Because they had stuff that they had to learn how to cope with. They had stuff that they had to learn how to, to sort out. They had things that you observed on a daily basis, and you didn't even know it. In fact, um, Paul says it this way. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, that was Adam at the very beginning, it started this chain reaction where every family, every family tree inherited this disease of sin. And then it says, and death came through sin. And in this way, death came to all people. Like it's all of us. It's every family. It's every family line because all sinned. And, And this is not just, physical and spiritual death, which Jesus said, hey, it's why I came, it's why you need rescue, and one day I'm going to undo it all, and I'm going to make things right, but this is here and now, and not, not only does sin lead to death physically and spiritually, sin kills stuff in every part of our life, like sin kills dreams, sin kills our desire for the future, sin kills relationships, you've watched sin, whatever you call it, kill a marriage, but sin just kills stuff, and so... Paul is like, listen, you just have to know, you gotta open this drawer at some point and just recognize, maybe you, you picked up some great things from your parents like me that you are so grateful for the multi-generational legacy you have. But even with that, there is some generational sin that you are dragging with you. And you have the choice of whether you're just gonna keep it closed and never acknowledge it, which is what most people do, or you're gonna understand that there's some stuff you gotta deal with and you gotta crack open this door because your DNA is powerful, one of the things that just made me think about it as I was thinking about this message, um, my little boy is five, Ryder, uh, one of my three, but my oldest is five. And all of my OCD tendencies got packed into that little body. Like all of them, every bit of them. My, my, other, my second oldest boy, none of them got packed into him. Like n- there's no slop. OCD tendencies. No. But, but Ryder is to the point of like his room is immaculate. Like, he's the only five-year-old boy in America. You never have to tell him to clean his room. Like, his bed is tucked in, like, military style. Like, it is unbelievable. Yeah. But it's to the point where it's over the top. And so I run in the other day because I was just so frustrated because he will freak out if the toys aren't aligned perfectly. And everything is, this is how bad it is, and all of it is from me. He got all, and so I, I rushed into the room. I was so frustrated. I'm like, Ryder, you need to chill, man. You need to calm down. Like, your toys can be a little bit messy. Everything doesn't have to be perfect on the shelf. And I'm just kind of getting, into it with him. And then I realized halfway through as I'm going, Ryder, please, you got to stop this. I'm organizing all of his cars parallel, facing the wall, equal distance apart. I'm like, would you just stop it? This is out of control. And then I realized like, what am I doing? I literally grabbed him. like, we're going to counseling right now, both of us together. But that's a true story. I'm sitting there lining them up while I'm yelling at him about how OCD he is, DNA is unbelievably powerful, and so some of us are coming from a generational line where like just worrying was a part of it. Anybody have any worrying parents? Yes. You have to raise your hands. But, like, it, it just everything was hyper. Everything was hyper. Everything was hyper. It was just so annoying. So, like, as a student or a teenager, like, hey, I want to go bowling. And your mom's like, okay, well, what's the bowling alley? I want to see if they have any liens on it. What was their income tax the last five years? Like, what's the police record? Who are you going with? Well, we're going with Kevin and Mike. Okay, can you have Kevin and Mike give me their date of birth and their social security number? I want to put them in the database that I designed. Like, everything was hyper. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And so then you have your friends show up, and you have the least chill parents in the world, and your mom's checking the air pressure and all all the tires, and like, hey, can you text me every five minutes, and when you get your first strike, can you text me, because I just want to cheer for you, and like, everything is like, are they going to disinfect the shoes, could we check that out, I'll call and see if they're going to disinfect the shoes, do they just spray it over top the shoes, or do they spray it in, we should know this, like, are you bringing your own bowling ball, are you like, like, how's this night game, and you're like, I don't want to go bowling, I want to have a root canal, because you are hyper on everything that I ever do, anybody yeah. in the house, like, that's just, yeah. that's yeah. from the generational line that you're coming from, and now you're in a marriage, and after you say, I do, like, you've never really dealt with some of that stuff. And here's what's funny is, is you have the idea of, like, I am never, ever, ever going to do that. Mm. And the weird psychology is the more that you determine what you're not going to do, the more you end up being that exact thing. Yeah. And, and now you're, you're in a relationship where, it, like, you're hyperdrive on finances, even if there's nothing to worry about. And you're over the top with your kids. And yet, like, there's some strain in your marriage because it feels like you don't trust. But really, there's just an overabundance of worry. And, and you're just carrying some generational stuff that you've never dealt with. And everywhere you go, there you are. Yeah. Like, it just goes with. For others of us, it's, it's maybe a little bit more serious. So that can be serious where there's just some anger stuff. And, and you had a dad or a mom that certain things would happen and it would trigger and they would just fly off the handle for you don't even know why. Like it was disproportionate. It was like, hey, could you just pass me that? And they blow up at you. And it was like, what's wrong with you? And, and, and what was wrong with them is in that moment it had nothing to do with you, but the drawer cracked open just a little bit. Mm-hmm. And they didn't tell you this, but they're like, there is more in here than you could ever imagine. Yeah. You're just seeing a little crack. And you had to kind of work around that. And and now you are in a relationship or you're married. And that thing of like, I'm not gonna treat people like that. I'm not gonna do that. And every once in a while, you have the same thing happen where this response comes up out of you because there's some stuff in the drawer that you've never dealt with. For some of us, it's like, you just grew up in a home where like, there was just tons of insecurity. Like everybody's insecure. There was low self-worth, just tended to fear everything. Like just fear, fear, fear. And just kind of this victim mentality of like, we're just always going to come in last. It always sucks. We're just realists. This is how life is. And you just kind of lived under that for a long time. And, And they never really understood the fact that they have a heavenly father who's for them, who has a plan, who has a purpose. And yes, it's a sin infested world, but you have a life, you have a will, you have a destiny. God wants to do something significant. And you never got any of that. There's just a lot of fear. There was a lot of low self-worth. And now you are in the relationship on maybe the other side of I do, and you've never recognized it. But one of the things that happens is a lot of times when there's low self-worth and I don't feel good about me, the natural reaction is I'm going to make sure you don't feel that good about you too. And and you've never opened that drawer of generational sin. It's just followed you. And maybe you're still in this place kind of living as a victim because that's, that was the mentality that was handed off. And then you know, to get really personal, like for some of you, just addiction. And it's so interesting, this isn't always the case, but a lot of times if if your parents dealt with addiction, their parents dealt with addiction, and there's this multi-generational thing where nobody really looked inside those drawers and really confronted any of that stuff. And in the Old Testament, it says that the, the sins of the father will be repeated to the sons and their sons. And, and the that Old Testament passage is not, this is inevitable. The passage was, listen, if you don't run to the right source of yeah. healing, if you yeah. never open this up, if you never decide that you're going to deal with this, you will just drag this baggage with you into every season and every relationship of your life. Yeah, there There's power in generational yeah. sin. Yeah,
1: and I think like one of the things that we really struggled with um, when I got pregnant with Brooke, she was our first, was just, um, you know, were they going to end up with, you know, my three mental illnesses? Were they going to end up struggling with the things that I have struggled with for so many years? And I'll never forget um, meeting with Kevin, my counselor, and just being in tears. Like, I, you know, should have we even had children, you know? Um, and, and he told me, he said, he said, Nicole, you are doing the hard work of breaking that. You are doing the hard work of breaking the generational baggage, so that your children probably will not need to. And he said, and most parents who realize that they have some sort of mental illness are in counseling. Their kids are less likely to end up with the mental illness because the parents know what to look for and how to get them help. And for me, that was just so encouraging to know that it could stop with me. It could stop here. Um, the second drawer that we want and to talk and I would about. Just add this, oh, I go ahead. Want, sorry.
0: Like hopes coming. And I think right on the front end, cause like that's, you start to feel stuff. Like here's the reality, DNA is powerful, but where this message is going is Jesus has done something to break the power of that yeah. DNA. Yeah. Lest you sit here and think like you're just inclined to just hand off and repeat all of the sins of the previous generation. Like Jesus has done something to break the power of that. No matter how many generations precedes you to go, no longer because of what Jesus has done. Am I gonna carry this drawer and this baggage any longer in my life?
1: Yeah, 100%. Um, The second drawer is the drawer of abandonment. And um, this can come through divorce. This can come through distance, disinterest, and sometimes even death. And I I read a study once that talked about um, if you were five and under and you lost a parent um, to some sort of illness and and they passed away or it was sudden, a car accident or whatever, your brain um, wasn't developed enough to be able to process that as that was not their fault. Um, And so your brain processed it as they abandoned you and they chose that. Um, and I just thought that was so interesting. Um, but so often as children and teens, like we said earlier, you, you can't process things. And so your parents end up coming to you and they're saying, you know, we're going to get a divorce. Um, our two drawers are colliding. We, we can't work through it. Um, sometimes we don't even want to choose to work through it. And so we're going to get a divorce. And in your mind, you're like, Okay, if you love me, if you value me that much, then why are we going to have to live in two separate places? Like, why am I going to have to go back and forth? Why can't we work through this? Or maybe your parents were physically present, um, but emotionally and mentally they were thousands of miles away. They just never checked in. Um, maybe they were just constantly interested in other things other than you. So they were interested in, the, in their job or the house or um, their hobbies or their friends. Or maybe they were interested in you but not as a person but as what you could bring to them. Um, and almost kind of like living through you vicariously. And so you felt abandoned um, at some point in your life or multiple times in your life. And so what you've chosen to do is one of two things. You've either chosen to become unhealthy, unhealthily attached to every person that walks into your life... Um, this is something that I used to do, but you just, you just cling on to everybody that comes into your life, and you're, you want to instantly be their best friend, and disappointing them is crushing to you because you're not sure whether or not that disappointment is going to make them leave you, and so you become unhealthily attached to everybody. Um, the second response is that you decide, okay, no one will ever leave me again. So I'm going to put up all of these walls. I'm not going to be vulnerable at all. And if I end up in relationship with someone, I'm going to sabotage that relationship so that I can be in control. Um, And this is exactly what I did our first year of marriage. I was so afraid that something was going to cause Bryant to leave me and that I was going to be unprepared for it, that I just decided I would force him out, and that way I could be in control. And I know this sounds crazy to some of you, but to others of you, you're like, I I understand that 100%. That's what I'm doing. And some of your spouses are like, oh, (laughs) now I see. You're you're in a relationship sabotaging it because you are convinced that this person is going to leave you, and so you're going to do everything you can now to get them gone um, so that you're in control of the hurt. And then some of you, what you've decided to do is, is you're like, okay, I know that person hurt me, whether it was a dad, a mom, um, whoever it may be. More often than not, it's a mom or a dad or both. And you're like, they hurt me, but whatever. They were a jerk. I'm not going to deal with it. It's 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 gone. It's over now. So I'm just going to slam that door shut. I'm not even going to think about it. I'm just going to move on with my life, and I'm going to be fine. But I have to tell you that. Stuffed emotions and stuffed baggage can only be quiet for so long. And there's going to be a point where you're not going to be able to shut that drawer anymore. And it's just going to start overflowing. And it's going to overflow on the people closest to you and that you love the most. And so what we want to tell you this morning is, in a little bit we're going to tell you how, but you can have the courage to open that drawer and to start going through it and to face it head on so that your present relationships and you yourself does not have to suffer anymore. There is freedom and there is healing in Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah, come on. The third drawer, and this is, we just deal with a lot of couples, and so this is, this is one we wanted to deal with. Uh, the third drawer is enabling. Like, a, a lot of people, and maybe this is even increasing in our culture, like, you you came from some kind of background, whether it was parents or guardians or whatever, like, you just didn't hear no a lot. Like, there w- there wasn't a lot of boundaries. Like, they were, I mean, in some extreme example, like, they're buying the liquor for the party. Yeah. Um, when you're 17, but maybe less extreme, like there just wasn't a lot of know. There wasn't a lot of boundaries. Um, they were constantly running in to help you at every turn. Um, one of the things that you, you'll read a lot of articles that in ex- this, this kind of culture of extended adolescence where people are getting married a lot later. A lot of moms are coming into interviews with their 24 year old sons in a corporate environment like just like you're still here. And so like maybe you grew up in, in that kind of environment and somebody always had your back. Somebody was always cleaning up your mess. There wasn't a lot of boundaries. There wasn't a lot of no. Um, you always got a trophy for everything. Um, I remember, I'll never forget sixth grade. I, I played soccer, which ended up not being my sport. And um, we got in here. We had a great year. But everybody got recognized as, like, these little MVPs. And I remember because I'm so competitive, I literally got mad. Like, why are you giving me a trophy? I'm terrible. I Like, I suck. Like, why are you doing this? But everybody gets a trophy. Everybody wins. Everybody's the best. And at some point, because you're made in the image of God, there's something in you that actually longs for the boundaries. Like, this isn't how it should be. And and at some point, I want you to just tell me the truth. Mm. Like, you keep giving me a trophy and tell me how amazing I am. What if I'm not that amazing at this? A few years ago, Nicole and I went to this, we are at this kind of club type thing or whatever it was where they had an open mic. This is several years ago, and somebody got up and performed. And I just remember thinking, like, Jesus loves you. He has a destiny and a will for your life. This is not it, what you're doing on the stage right now. And I just remember thinking in my mind, I was like, nobody has ever loved this guy in his life. Because you're telling me there wasn't a mom somewhere along the There wasn't a friend who had the courage to go, listen, I love you, bro. God has a good and right plan for your life. It's not this. Yeah. You're terrible. Knock it off. I can't keep looking at the floor while you perform because it's so embarrassing. You're terrible, man. Let God reveal what he has for you next. And my point is just this. like At some point along the way, if you grew up in that kind of environment, whatever it looked like for you, here's the danger. You get on the other side of I do. And you have no idea how to submit your life yeah. for the sake of somebody else. Yep. And maybe as a guy, you have no idea if you're a follower of Jesus, how to do what Jesus told you to do in marriage. And that is, I want you to lay down your hopes, your dreams, and your desires for the sake of her hopes Her dreams and her desires And I'm just telling you at some point you got to open up that drawer and go it's been a good run There's been some advantages to this, but i'm not gonna live in here any longer I've got to get to the root of some of this stuff. I've got to set some boundaries I've got to recognize there's some things that I have to deal with to be what I need to be in this relationship But the thing I cannot stress to you enough is none of these are neutral subjects If you do not deal with the multi-generational stuff in your past and i'm talking to a hundred percent of the people who are listening and watching right now it will come back to haunt you and at some level it will sabotage your relationships from being all that God wants them to be there is some work that you have to do to break free to experience all that God wants to do in your marriage and relationship right now you have to crack open the door
1: yeah um and then drawer number four is performance-based acceptance and um, this is something, this would characterize a lot of passive-aggressive environment. So if you grew up in an, a home that was very passive-aggressive, you experienced this. And what, what I mean by that is, is that it was never actually said to you, but you knew by the way that your parents talked to you and how they interacted with you that um, when you did something well, like a good grade, you scored the goal, um, you know, you got the girlfriend or the boyfriend, you you um, got the job, whatever it may be, your parents um, showered praise on you, gave you attention and then the moment that you did something that they did not like um, it became very like quiet tense the tones changed the attitudes towards you changed and so um, you realized very early that um, you were loved and accepted when you did the right things when you performed and when you didn't um, you weren't loved and accepted and so um, this produces two different types of people it produces the tryhards And they are terrified of not being loved and accepted, so they do everything that they think they need to do in order to win your love and your acceptance. And then you have the people that just give up altogether because they're never going to earn your love and acceptance. They're never going to be able to hit the mark, and so they're just not even going to try. They're exhausted from trying. They're just going to give up. And you can see how this can impact a marriage and then how this can impact our parenting if this is how we grew up. And so we have to open the drawer to allow Jesus to shine light on that in our lives And then the last drawer that we want to talk about, it's incredibly sensitive. And so I want to say this. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time here. But if you've experienced this, I would really encourage you after the service to go out to Connect Point. Um, We can get you connected with a counselor. We can talk and pray over you. But the last drawer is the drawer of abuse. And some of you have experienced physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, sexual abuse. And um, what it has done is it has completely eroded your ability to trust. And that's not your fault. If, if, If you have been abused, I'm going to tell you right now that this was not your fault. This was something done to you. It's not something that you asked for. It is not something that you baited in. This was something done to you, and it was not your fault. But your trust is eroded for good reason, obviously. And some of you have never, ever told anyone even about it. The only two people that know are you and the person that did it to you. And you're carrying this weight of shame because the enemy has told you that you should be ashamed. And I want to be here this morning to tell you, you should not be ashamed. And you need to shut up the voice of the enemy. And you need to bring this before Jesus Christ and allow him to heal you from the inside out. Because he wants to restore you. He wants to heal you. He wants to make you whole. But you have to be brave enough and courageous enough to do it. And I have several friends that over the past couple of years, as I've talked about my mental illnesses and different things, have come to me. And it's crazy because statistics say one out of four people have been abused in some way. And so you just look around this room, and that's a whole lot of us. And, and, and for some of us, you would never know because we have families, we have children, we look put together, we have jobs. And yet we're carrying this weight and this burden of shame and embarrassment and of fear That of uh, because of something that someone did to us. And I want to encourage you today that no matter what kind of things that you are stuffing, whether it's the abuse, whether it's the abandonment, whether it's the need for acceptance or enabling generational sin, whatever it is. I love our church because we have community groups of people that are way more messed up than we are. Isn't that something to celebrate? And what's awesome, let's celebrate that for a second, because what's awesome more is.
0: more honest than we are. Yeah, that's it.
1: When you get into a community group, and I say we collectively, because um, I'm pretty messed up. But when you get into a, an, a, into a community group and you start to hear stories of people that are like, you have no idea the brokenness that I walked through. But look what Jesus has done. When you start experiencing that. There's something powerful in that moment. We've developed a whole counseling ministry. We have a fund to help fund some of your counseling because we know how important it is. We know how much, um, sometimes we need to walk with someone. I've been walking with Kevin for 10 years. He's my counselor. And um, some seasons are more intense than other seasons, but I always think it's so funny when people come up to me and are like, yeah, I got into counseling for two months and I think I'm good. I'm like, oh, you're so cute. You know, like, you're so sweet. We'll see you in about a year. But there is nothing shameful in walking and counseling and having someone help you figure out how to deal with all the generational crap you're dealing with, how to deal with those triggers, because you're still going to interact with the people that a lot of times have done these things to you. So you've got to learn how to cope. But more than anything, here's what we want you to know, and this is where we're going to land, is that resolution is only going to come through Jesus Christ and the gospel, only through Jesus Christ and the gospel. And some of you are like, I've already accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And, and and that's that's well and good, and that's where it starts. But it's more than that because you're carrying so much of this because all you've ever longed for is for someone to love you unconditionally, and you've never found that. And I'm here to tell you you're going to find that in Jesus Christ. And in 1 John four ten, it says this, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and he sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sin. And, and some of you, again, have accepted that for salvation. You're like, okay, believe that. Believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and rose again. I'm not going to hell. Yippee. <laughs> but it's more than that. Because the reason why a lot of you have not dealt with your, your generational sin or your abandonment issues or your acceptance issues or your enabling issues or whatever issues it may be, the abuse, the reason why you haven't is because you're scared. <laughs> you're so scared. You're scared to go back. And deal with the past because you're not sure what's going to happen when you open that drawer and you start to walk through those stories again. You're afraid you're going to get overwhelmed by all the emotion you've stuffed. You're afraid you're not going to be able to handle it. And, and this is what I want to say to you this morning. You can't handle it. But Jesus Christ can. And and, and here's something we always forget is that he wants healing for you. So he's not going to send you into this process alone. No, I want to tell you this. Jesus was in your past. And that might be hard for some of you. I talked to someone this morning. She said, all of my anger is on Jesus Christ. It's because why did he make me this way? And I told her, I said, honestly, I struggled with that for years. Why did you give me these mental illnesses? Why did you allow this? I don't understand. Until I came to the realization that he didn't. Sin broke me sin broke me and Jesus has done everything he can to make me whole again that's what Jesus is doing and so Jesus was in your past I'm going to tell you he's waiting for you in your future but he is right now with you in your present and he will give you the strength and the courage to deal with your past fears from the enemy first Timothy 1 7 says that fears from the enemy he will give you the courage to deal with your past and to walk through that generational baggage and I want to tell you something else when you start to understand what Jesus has done to love you and to forgive you, you're not going to have any choice but to forgive the people that have hurt you and forgiveness is so hard to wrap your mind around, isn't it? I struggled with it for years because I was hurt in some really deep ways. And I didn't want to let go of that hurt because I was afraid if I let go of that hurt, I was afraid if I let go of my past that those people were going to get off scot-free. And, and I'll never forget Brian explaining to me what forgiveness was. We were on Bloomingdale Avenue in the car on, this, on the way to his parents. And, and I just said, I can't let go of stuff, babe, because if I do, they're going to get off free. And I can't pretend like it never happened. I, I can't convince myself that it didn't happen. And he said, well, you don't understand what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is pardoning. And in order to pardon someone, you have to 100% realize that what they did to you was wrong. Like, you have to understand when you forgive someone, it's not saying that they didn't hurt you. No, it's, it's, it's 100% realizing and understanding and grappling with the fact that, no, they hurt you. They stole something from you. They did something to you. No, forgiveness is not forgetting that. Forgiveness is owning that. Oh, yeah, someone hurt me bad. But I can't make them pay me back. That's, that's done and over. And, and the only person I'm hurting by holding on to it and never releasing it is myself. And I came to the realization in the decision that I was done being sick for something else someone did for me. I was done being sick for them. I wanted to get whole and healthy, and so I was going to release that. And the verses I clung on to for years until Jesus did the full 100% work of forgiveness in my heart, because it takes years sometimes, is that God was my avenger and he was going to take care of them. I clung to those verses. And Jesus did something in my heart to where I could actually forgive and I could move on and experience freedom in Jesus Christ.
0: So I just want to end with this in a second, because you you need a community. If I could force everybody to get in a community group, I would. If I could encourage everybody to get into counseling, or at least a lot of us, I, I would. For some of you may need medication for a while, maybe for a season, maybe forever. There's some stuff because we're mind, body, soul, spirit. And because of the fall, like we just need help walking through healing. And all of those things are important. If you're not a Jesus follower, start there. Because what I'm about to say next, this may be the thing that's hard for you to grasp, but I'm just telling you, if you ever decide, I'm gonna believe in what Jesus did, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and the fact that he paid the price for all of my sin and all of my past and decide to trust him and not what you can do to earn your way to him, but what Jesus has done for you when you decide to make that decision. I'm just telling you this, that all of those things I just mentioned, they're gonna be a part for a lot of us of the healing process, but full resolution only happens at the cross and it happens for two reasons because he is the only one on planet earth who loves you unconditionally unlike anybody else because he knew all of it and he died for you anyway not a future version of you but you at your darkest moment and not only that he is the only one on planet earth who knows every single thing that is in all of the drawers In fact, again, to quote Paul, Paul said this, for just as through the disobedience of one man, that was Adam, and then the domino effect of sin started to infest humanity, the many were made sinners. That's everybody, every family line. So also through the obedience of one man, his name is Jesus, the many will be made righteous and be made right. Listen, this is the gospel. This is our hope. And I just want to be really explicit as we wind toward the end of this series that there was a domino effect of sin that was coming with all of us. And Jesus stepped into that domino effect, but he did not fall with the dominoes. He lived a perfect life that none of us would be able to live, and then he died the death that we should have died, and then he walked out of a grave alive, but here's what you have to understand is that on that cross, he took every bit of baggage that we're carrying, the stuff that we did, and the stuff that other people did to us. All of the abandonment went on Jesus. All of the abuse went on Jesus. All of the performance-based acceptance went on Jesus. All of the enabling went on Jesus. Every evil thought, Every lustful thought, every dark moment of the soul, that trip, that thing that nobody else knows about, that secret that your family's been carrying forever, on the cross, Jesus knew all of it and took all of it on him. The abuse that's coming, I'm enduring the pain of that right now. The abandonment that's coming, I know about it, I'm taking the punishment for it right now. The stuff that you're going to have to try to unwind from, that somebody else has done, I'm taking it on me right now. And there's this dramatic moment where Jesus is on the cross and the scripture says, He is literally becoming sin for us. And he cries out to his father in heaven, God, why have you forsaken me? And the answer to that question is the gospel so that he doesn't have to forsake you. And that everything that is in every single one of those drawers was literally taken on Jesus' body on the cross. And so now the resolution that you need for your past is to take all of that stuff that you have been afraid to open up and to bring it to the foot of the cross. And here's what I mean by that. I'm not talking about in some ethereal way. It means that you get up tomorrow and you understand this stuff that I haven't wanted to deal with. I'm opening up the drawer. I'm laying it down. And I'm going to begin to remind myself of what is true in this moment if I'm a follower of Jesus. The scripture talks about it this way. That as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Meaning what you acknowledge and what you think about is what you become. But it's even better than that through the gospel. This isn't faithing something into reality or hoping something into reality. Jesus said this is reality. I have broken the domino effect of the DNA that you were born into. I have severed the ties to who you used to be. I took the punishment for all of that sin. I took it all on me. And now I want you to get up tomorrow, and I want you to open up these drawers, and I want you to stop identifying with who you used to be. I want you to get up tomorrow and taking it to the foot of the cross means I'm not what they did to me. I'm not going to stay in the multi-generational line that just says, we're addicted, we're unfaithful, we're insecure. We don't have self-worth, and instead, I'm going to get up and I'm going to acknowledge something powerful, and this is what it means to come to the foot of the cross. I'm going to take every bit of this baggage. And I'm gonna bring it to him and I'm gonna, understand, I'm gonna understand this reality. I don't have to carry this any longer. And I do have a new DNA because Jesus took every bit of your baggage to a place called Calvary. All of the wrong of your life was put on him. And all of the wrong that was done to you was put on him. And now, when you place your faith and trust in Christ, you don't get just forgiveness guys, you get a new life. The life that he lived is now given to you. It's called the great exchange. When you say Jesus, I'm trusting what you did for me and not what has happened to me or what I can do for me. All of my chips are in the center of the table with what you've done. And in that moment, the scripture says that when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, he forgives you. But then he also exchanges his perfect life so that when God the Father sees you, he sees you as perfectly righteous. You're his son. You're his daughter. And the domino effect of the DNA is broken. So here's what this means. You need to get up tomorrow and you need to recognize this. I don't really want to open up these drawers. I don't really want to look inside. I'm afraid of what I'm going to see. It's easier to just stuff it and try to cope and come up with new mechanisms, but I'm opening the drawer because if anybody on planet Earth could have been a victim, it was Jesus, and instead he decided to be condemned for me, and I'm not living as a victim any longer, and by the power of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, I am going to identify with who I am. I am not you, I am not what you did to me I am not my family line I am not my family tree, I am not the abuse, I am not All of the performance-based acceptance because on the cross, Jesus said once and for all, you don't have to live for acceptance any longer. You can live from acceptance. You are loved. You are accepted. You are worthy. You are secure, not because of anything you've done. And in spite of what has been done to you, it's all because of Jesus. And so get up tomorrow and stop identifying with who you used to be and begin to acknowledge who you are. I have a new dad. I have a new father. I have a new life. I have a new DNA I have a rearranged family tree And all of culture says, I'm going to fall in line with these dominoes. But because of Jesus and because I've taken it to the foot of the cross, I'm going to live free because he has broken the chains of all of the stuff that was handed off to me. And he has the keys to get death, hell, and the grave. And the moment I acknowledge it and come back to the power of what Jesus did on the cross is the moment I can walk back into a relationship and say, I'm committed. And maybe for the first time in my life. I'm free because of what Jesus has done for me. And today, the application is that you will walk out and you would continue or begin all of the hard work. But you would recognize that resolution is only coming from one place and one person, and his name is Jesus. And he has done something that no counselor is ever going to be able to do for you. He has made you new, you're a new creation and a new person, and the tie has now been severed, and the generational line has been nailed to a cross, and you can go free, and you can maybe experience something that nobody in your line has experienced for about five generations, because you have a new heavenly father.
1: Would you guys just stand and pray with us? And in a second, uh, the worship team is going to come up, and we're going to end with a song, Run to the Father. And
0: Would you just pray with me right now in this moment? Jesus, this is one of those messages that overwhelms me. That quite frankly, I didn't want to preach, but you wanted to preach it. And so now the responsibility lies with you about what you want to do in individual hearts and lives. Because I know what something like this stirs up, but I also believe in the power of what's happening inside and outside this room right now. Because there's some of us who are walking in relationships and you have so much more for us. And we just have never drawn the connection that there's some drawers that we need to open up, some baggage that we need to confront, even the best of us from the best of families. <laughs> and the reality is for us as great parents that we wanna be, we are literally in the process of handing dysfunction to our own kids. And it's why in these moments we are so grateful that you didn't send a list of rules and some advice that our Father in heaven sent a savior and a rescuer, not just to forgive us, but to give us new life. And I pray today that maybe for the first time we would collide with the beauty and the power of the cross of Jesus. And that it would no longer be this intellectual nod of I understand that, but it would move to our heart to where we'd get up tomorrow and we begin to rehearse a new dialogue in our mind that something has changed. And we're going to begin to identify with that change. We're gonna begin to worship you out of that change. We're gonna begin to identify not with who we used to be, but who we are. And I'm praying that all over this room and among the thousands and thousands of people who listen in different places, that right now in this moment, chains would just begin to fall by the power of a resurrected Jesus. And so we're praying this.
1: Um, I just wanna say this before we say amen. Some of you, um, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your savior, I wanna give you that opportunity real quickly right now. And you just say, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose again. And I want to ask you today to be my Savior. And if that's you, we had some accept Christ for the first time in first service. But if that's you, everyone's heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just raise your hand so we can celebrate and pray with you? If you're like, that, is my first time accepting Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. As When we get into this song, some of you, and and if you left the church because of this, or if you think this is weird, I I 100% understand, but this is such a powerful song, and some of you physically may need to just come to the front and and kneel up here, um, just like kind of physically running to the Father. Some of you might need to come individually, might need to come with your spouses. Maybe it's even just a time of celebration to say, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done in my life, but as we sing this song, if if that's some of you that you just want to come up here and pray, if you need someone to pray over you... um, then feel the freedom to do that. Otherwise, you can stay in your seat and just worship. But um, I'll go ahead and say amen. So You can open up and see my raccoon eyes. Sorry for losing it. We're gonna hand it over to the worship team for one of the thoughts.
0: Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways?